Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, back again. I'm here with uh, Nate. Hey, everybody. We are here missing um, our third leg here, uh, Damone. Shout, shout out to Damone. Damone is sick today, as is literally everyone else in our lives. Um, I guess there's a flu going around, a cold going around, and just, uh, yeah, we're uh, it's just Dave and I in the booth today, but uh, we're going to handle it from here. Yeah, it just uh, confirms that our friends are the illest. So, <laughs> um, But yes, uh, we got a good program uh, slated for everybody, so we're really stoked on that today. Today we're talking to and about the legend. Uh, how many aliases do you think that we could name <laughs> just off the top? Let's see. Uh, Mr. Gerbic, Spank Ultraman Master? 7000. Right. Uh, Dr. Octagon. Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom with three O's. A Cenobite. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, maybe not as many as we thought, but uh, Cool Keith. Cool Keith. We're going to talk to Cool Keith. Uh, Dave, you have an interesting history with Cool Keith. Yeah, strangely, like, you know, like uh, just with my writing career, I've, I've sort of sought out artists that I like. And um, with Cool Keith, I've been lucky enough to uh, interview him at least four or five times. I have a, a big interview um, sitting on my laptop with him. It's uh, him breaking down um, Black Elvis. Better him sitting on your laptop than sitting on your lap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, I, I've heard sex style, so I wouldn't want him on my lap. Um, but yeah, and you know, after a while, like, uh, just kind of going back and forth with him and his management and everything, he ended up like doing a little series for my, um, blog notorious back in the day. So to have cool Keith sort of write us a couple paragraphs was a huge honor. That was so tight. <laughs> that was like the height of the blog era. Totally. Totally. Fun times. But, um, yeah, man, t- uh, Keith, I mean, Nate, what's, what's your favorite thing about cool Keith? I think my favorite thing about Cool Keith is that he's like an American original. Like right. he's such a unique person and he um embodies this thing that I think about MCs often that like they live by the pen. Right. Like Cool Keith could show up in any city in any town with no equipment mm-hmm. and put on an entertaining show. Totally. Like he could have a DJ download some shit or play YouTube mm-hmm. versions of his tracks or like totally. bring a CD player like right. how they used to in the underground days and totally. like put on some weird sunglasses and like rap better than like 99.99% of totally. people that ever existed <laughs> no, even exactly. now you know what yeah, I mean no exactly I mean you know that's the thing with Keith is like you know we've had conversations about his uh post glorious era and you know he has a he has a mound full of um you know stuff that we're not certainly into but to your point Keith can show up to any party and just still rock it because he's him Totally. You know? He just he has a magnetism. Right. An ultra magnetism. <laughs> and uh he's just like he's just an interesting person. Um I've seen him live, I want to say no less than ten times. And there was one time that uh really stands out was at Maritime Hall back in the day and he passed out fried chicken to the crowd. <laughs> and it, it was like so cool, Keith. Um I think at that point he was promoting Dr. Octagon. Wow. So this was like late nineties, wow. but like no automator, no cuber, right. just him like right. doing a show kind of right. half Octagon stuff, a little bit of sex style, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of ultra, like a little tiny bit of ultra mags. Wow. Um, just, you know, his verses. And then the DJ would just unceremoniously cut <laughs> like the rest. It was very like of that time. Um, but you know, just, I think he's, carved out a niche for himself on mm-hmm. this kind of like bob dylan like never-ending tour totally like he's just he's totally, everywhere totally totally i mean octagon part two came out semi-recently to you know uh tepid responses but um you know it's still good to see him doing his thing absolutely you know? um what's your favorite cool keith album Ooh, that's a tough one dude i i i'm 
I might have to go Dr. Octagon. Yeah, I'd probably have to go Dr. Yeah. Octagon, too. It just blew my mind when it came totally, out. And it was, totally. Uh, it was the kind of thing that showed me that there was more to the genre, mm-hmm. and that made mm-hmm. me want to dig deeper. Totally. It basically, and then you, you, go all, you go so deep, all of a sudden you're listening to, like, you know, some random kids freestyles on a third generation <laughs> dub tape and you're like yeah but this is no dr octagon <laughs> right like, totally. that has like you know high production values totally. and like classical strings and like seven minute you know odysseys mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. it's so singular but right. it made me think that there was more to hip-hop than totally. i had previously seen so I'm, I'm thankful for that and i would say some of it still sounds really good yeah no totally well i think we're also forgetting i mean if we're not counting um critical beatdown if we're counting the solo cool keith era yeah i, I mean uh, critical beatdown is is a great great album an epical album um but there's a lot of other things going on there so totally. i mean certainly right. that's like up among his best work yeah totally um he was just on fire back then i know i know i mean you just look at the cover and you're like oh who's the guy that literally stands out yeah it's cool keith i mean he's just radiating yeah um you know the the thing is with keith is he um my favorite thing about keith is his humor he's fucking hilarious he is hilarious Uh, and that's that's one aspect of his music and his public persona and his twitter etc that has not really diminished mm -hmm, it's like he's mm -hmm. he's just still has such a view of sconce in right. terms of his um, sense of humor. Totally. Where he's he just like, it, it's weird, but it's funny. Totally, totally. And, you know, it's he's so funny and so charismatic. It detracts from the fact that he has almost perfect diction. He's one of the rappers with, like, the most stunning is uh, clarity. Totally, that I, that you, just, you understand every Everything. single word, even every. if the word is weird as fuck. Totally. You, you know exactly totally. what he's talking about. Um, I think a really interesting time is the time that you're going to cover on this Black Elvis um, kind of thing was like it starts to be the beginning of a a spreading right out right. of like it's not just Cool Keith it's not just Doctor Octagon he's like every record for a while seemed to be kind of a new persona right and he was bringing different like MCs like mm-hmm. Motion Man mm-hmm. and Sir Menelik into the fold and it was kind of like this is. Where are we going? Like, totally, where, where, totally. where where does this end up? Um, right. Is there, I don't know, want you to spoil your own article, but does he? did you learn something about the making of Black Elvis and about that time period and what he was kind of approaching music that you can give us a little? Yeah, totally. You know, what surprised me was that, like, um, I forgot I forgot what the order was that Black Elvis came out, but he was on a roll, right? I mean, he had, uh, Matthew was coming out. I Isn't think. that on Columbia, too? Yes. Yeah, so, he probably got, like, a pretty hefty totally. advance for that. Like, he was considered to be, like, a serious mm-hmm, totally. artist. So two things struck me about um, the making of that. One is that uh, it's almost an entirely self-produced album. Which I didn't know. Yeah, you don't really think of him as totally. behind the boards, or I right, don't. You right, right. So it's it's him and fuck. I, f- I don't remember who the other producer was, but it's um it's credited as Nightcrawler, and he's like, no, that's me, Dave. That's, that's their me. production entity. Yeah, or that's just him. Well, so it's an entity, but he kind of made it seem like that was just him. Oh, and fascinating. And um, that record came out, and I guess he had Mad Funk with Columbia as a result. It's weird. I just think, yeah. uh, you know, they label of, not to mention him again for absolutely no reason, but Bob Dylan and, uh, <laughs> you know, all of these seminal artists would not be a good fit for Cool Keith in the year 2000. Totally, totally. It's like the, <laughs> the record industry had not quite yet imploded, but it was right. about to. Totally. What, what are they going to do with Cool Keith? What like, do cool do Keith cool doesn't Keith? need. Right, right. Uh, I mean, like, the... he doesn't need help crafting an image, clearly. Right. All right. of these ideas 
generate with him. Totally, and he, he totally. handles his own press. He mm-hmm. handles his own production in this case. Totally. Like, it's just like, what the fuck does he need a I label know. for? I know. What does a label do with a fireball? Yeah, you know? so, totally. So, you know, looking forward to talking to him um, on today's program, man. Absolutely. Um, I've never actually talked to him before. I think I've spent hundreds of hours listening to his music. <laughs> so I think that um, he's got one of the most unique careers in the hip-hop game. The fact he's still out there is kind of amazing. Totally. But I think he just rose to that level of career where you can never really retire. Right. It's like he probably does okay. Mm-hmm. He's got some mm-hmm. projects that have like mailbox money and things right. show up. and Totally. You know, he, he does plenty of shows, but it's just like he's not like... I don't... I mean, I don't... I, would hesitate to speculate but i don't think he can stop right right and so no, you put totally. yourself in this interesting position mm-hmm. where you have this huge catalog mm-hmm. of kind of releases under all these different guises and i i don't know if he was the kind of person who owned his own publishing right, or like right. has like control over that mm-hmm. stuff but i think he just has so much out there right that there's a lot to draw from in terms of still touring totally well it, I, it speaks to his prolific nature too i mean i you, the albums that we're celebrating are Really, pretty much four or five, right? Right, top, right. And um, Out I of mean, he's had twenty totally or so, twenty, yeah, yeah, of just solo stuff, and he's had weird collabs and stuff. So, I mean, he's certainly a dude who cannot stop. It seems, yeah. And like you know, what what would Cool Keith do all day if he wasn't rapping? You right, know what I mean? Right. If there wasn't the next totally. show to get to, and totally. Well, uh, we've had this conversation. Like, what would Ghostface and Biz be doing? Yeah. You know? be a substitute teacher like like <laughs> like what does normal life look like for these guys and i what does normal life look like for cool keith totally I, you have to say though of among his peers he's the one who's both still in the game but is not like a huge superstar like totally. he's from the ll cool j era i know but he's not ll cool j totally. or he, i guess the the most similar thing but they've taken kind of a different path because of the varying kind of styles on this is like he's in a similar i would guess financial and like more to the point like cultural position as chuck d mm, it's mm. like chuck d is like touring colleges right but right. i actually well now that i'm saying that he's in profits of rage right, so, so that doesn't really make sense chuck he's still is, playing huge he's, festivals. yeah he's doing huge festival festivals so that, that comparison does not make sense <laughs> hmm, I'm, I'm sure we can probably find a, a more apt comparison yeah point is cool keith can't be stopped yeah you know so exactly for better or worse yeah, you know. it, he's still out there. I think I would still go to a show, though I don't go to any shows. Um, <laughs> Jazzy Jeff, Cash Money, and that guy DJ Coco right. from Japan were in town last I night, know, and I, I experienced it via Instagram story. <laughs> it's tough to get me out of the house, man. It's like that's, you know, not once in a lifetime kind of thing. Totally, those, totally. Those dudes are around, but this kind of tour, the way it was structured, I know, the club I know. that it played, it was just like, man, this is like two minutes from my house. I know, man. I actually uh, was setting up for work yesterday, and they're... Um, their tour van pulled up so yeah. I, got, I got to see him uh you know on the street next to my uh, real life day job work that's funny so I yeah know, some friends were in town and they hit me up and i was like dude it's a sunday though man yeah as much as as perfect as that sounds totally i already felt like shit today i can only imagine if i had went out till two o'clock in the morning <laughs> last night to watch some really really crazy amazing djs play 45s um oh. apparently that dude coco is just Really? Beast. really yeah he's he's like the cleanest juggler and he still does kind of like turntablistic style mm-hmm. party rock and djing like extremely well Jeez, in 2019 wow. you know what i mean wow, like, wow. he would have been like an itf kind of like murderer wow well, but he's still he's still doing it well, all the, on 45 all the heavyweights were in the house for that so yeah. that was really cool to see totally i had to live vicariously <laughs> instagram though but 
Yeah. All right. Should we talk to Keith? Yes, sir. All right. Sounds good. Dad bod, rap bod. Bod Rap Pod. Mm-hmm. We are here with the great Cool Keith. Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, hey, cool, cool Keith. Keith, is here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Keith um, where, you, where you guys at? We're in uh, San Jose. San Jose, California. Okay, 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 West okay, Coast. okay. What about you? Uh, I'm in New York. Nice. Word. Uh-huh. Yo, man, so we want to ask, we want to touch um, on your, on your history and your career just all over because I, there's so much going on. Um, uh-huh. Can we talk a little bit at the beginning about um, Ultra Magnetic and and how that formed and sort of what what do you remember most about that era? Uh, when me and Sam went to high school together, um, mm. well, what happened was um, I was with this guy named um, this singer named Mike. We used to, before I was dancing, we used to dance together, and then I was with Mike and um, and then um, we went to uh, went to Clinton. And then he took me over to these guys' house, and um, they was doing R and B. You know, said it was um, Seth's brother was doing. Um, they were like kind of like Jodeci and stuff, and uh, you know, Silk <laughs> and all that, and um, you know, a lot of the singing bands back then, like you know, like um, Troop and all that. And then we, I went over his house, and my boy was telling me he was gonna take me up to Mastermind Productions, and it was like a studio on the projects, and. Um, Dad's projects, you know, we all grew up in projects, but, you know, it's like, um, I went up to West Avenue, it's like, and then we went up to Mastermind, and his brother was up there, and he said he's gonna take me to this guy house to make some records, and they had, like, they was working on four-track songs, so, um, we got on, they was working on, that's when everything was four-track, it wasn't even 24, eight-track, was, they had, everybody had four-track, Tascam board, and, um, like it was more like everybody's making demo tapes and stuff. So, mm. you know, we went up there. Everybody had a lot of production up there and stuff. And different groups used to come up there. And I went, I went up there to do some stuff with the guy, my boy Mike. And Sam came in the door, and I said, "Oh, I go to school with this guy. He go to me and go to school together." It was kind of a coincidence. But I knew him in school, and I just went over to his brother's house, and he came over there. Where he, you know, he lived there with his mother, Miss Miller, and, uh, you know, and also you know Tim Dark stayed there and everything. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going, you know. Then we met ourselves. You know, it was like a small world. Then. I was supposed to do like uh, some solo projects. I did like two songs, and then his brother was like, "You know what? I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna sacrifice my career, and I'm gonna let you guys come out first. So you know, Patrick was like, "Cool." He put up the, you know, we had like the funds. You know, his his aunt was the SV12 Mo's Mo's aunt Mo's mother, and Pat put up money so we could go in the studio. So you know, Pat was definitely to this day. You know, he God bless. He passed away. He was young. He was young, but um, he passed. You know, he had to say on a ponytail like a light skin said, "G." You know, but a real <laughs> nice, a real, a real nice, real nice person. Like one of his nice. You know, he had like a couple of brothers, Kenny, Tony, 
Tony went to Clinton and Seth went to Clinton. And he had a brother named Kenny. I think Seth was like in the middle and then his other brothers are older. Mm. So we was like, um, we was like, you know, Pat was the youngest, like the baby, so younger than Seth. So he sacrificed, you know, he was a humble person. So we put out the group, you know, we did some demos. We did like a couple singles, wasn't that good. And we had like DNA was trying to help us get a deal. Then we bumped into Red Alert. You know, we had a record called To Give You Love. We did a, like a little little demo party in Long Island one time. And we made a lot of records that we didn't really like. Then we did like a hard record. And it was not with the, it was the DMX drums that, you know, turning into the sample drums at that time and then um we got lost at that time then we uh, my boy i borrowed melvin bliss substitution then we made eagle tripping yeah. and red alert, red alert got us a deal but it was really mean for me you know me and Seth got this album together we made mc ultra came out it was a big street hit and it became a big record thanks to red alert taking it up to hot 97 mm. I, mean, I mean i mean kiss fm really I mean, 98.7 Kiss. Um, and the record was big. And then ever since then, then we started working on our album and Ultra became Ultra Magnetic. Okay, okay. Um, Keith, uh, what do you remember about working with uh, Paul C? Um, Paul C is right on time. Just when we started working on the album for the Critical Beatdown, Paul C was in the studio We got our budget from Next Plateau because Eagle Tripping was the big single. Then it was time for us mm. to do an album. So that's when you started hearing Ease Back, Give the Drummer Some, and the rest of the Critical Beatdown album. Paul C was a big input on um, doing like two or three tracks. I know he did Give the Drummer Some. He did Ease Back. And, um, you know, working with him, he was the you know, he was a funny guy coming to the studio and I had low vocals. You like, you gotta do that again and I was never always thinking somebody could tell me to do my vocals or <laughs> I was kinda shocked and but it it was worth it, you know, to listen to him because he was like, You could do it better, you know, and that's why when you hear that delivery on East Back it sounds so good because it was a lot of takes on that one. I usually do one or two take, three takes, but that one, you know, he, you, know, you could get it. That's why I, that record was, I want it like that. I got it like that. You know, he felt that. So, you know, and then he did get the drum some. And working with him was a good person, you know, because he was an engineer that was honest with you and tell you, you know, you could do that better, do it over again. And, you know, he wasn't scared to talk to the people and stuff like that, you know. So mm. my thing is that, you know, I respect him to the utmost. And uh, working with a person like that was so great. It was like, it's like a brother in the studio, you know, telling you something. I mean, just just him in the studio was being comfortable and, you know, him coming to make beats and stuff and shedding him also, sharing him as a, a production person within Trevor, Moe, and Cedric themselves. So that Critical Beatdown album was like four producers, basically, Paul C., Trevor, um, Sed, and Moe. Mm. Um, before we got on the... the and, and maybe... And maybe and, and me, I bought most of the, the hit singles. Like, I bought Funky and um, Ego Tripping. I bought the Melvin Bliss things instead. Yeah. I bought um, the Funky record. And, you know, most of the singles, I, it was because of me. I bought the singles. And so 
Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, your production. Uh, Dave was telling me before we got on the phone with you that you produced a lot of the Black Elvis stuff under an alias. Um, Can you kind of tell the people um, a little bit about, um, like, kind of, they might not know, they might not think of Cool Keith as a producer. Like, what's your approach, and um, how much of your own work have you produced? Well, um, you know, even on Dr. Octagon, um, Blue Flowers, I played the bass, and most of the bass lines on the Octagon album was me. I mean, that's why the second album, I didn't really like it, because Automator was kind of hard-headed. He didn't really collaborate with me. He was, he went on and took, you know, what me and him was most successful at was working together. Mm-hmm. Instead of working together, he pulled, like, brand new people around them to work on the album but they don't really know what was really going on mm. you know you know with the album so you know me doing production i worked on blue flowers i worked on um girl let me touch you you know i put the bass lines on top of that because the automator i always I used to tell him that for me to rap i had to rap over the bass line so i really like i needed the bass lines on the song when mm. he wanted me to rap on raw tracks but mm. I put on, you know, I put bass lines on Eagle Tripping, you know, the 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 you know, I did a lot of bass lines within the group and stuff, and even on Tim Dog's Fuck Compton album, you know, I played a lot of bass line on Step to Me, all kinds of bass lines. I put on a lot of tracks, um, you know, all the albums. I was always a part of the bass lines and the keyboards, and um, and then you know, Black Elvis. I was into the production. Um, I, you know, I didn't want the the public to ne- never think I could make beats and produce beats. When I got to LA, I started getting into heavy production, and you know, I used to go record myself because I used to, you know, I had the, I had the knack of asking a lot of producers for beats and you know to do tracks with me, and I got tired of it. So I started learning how to go make beats in the studio by myself and go to Pro Tools. So, you know, and that went on for me working on Black Elvis to, um, you know, uh, Dr. Doom, Matthew, you know, I, I produced a lot of those tracks, um, all those albums and playing the bass lines and programming some of the drums and, you know, straight to Pro Tools. And, you know, I didn't have to go program from the MP. I just program into the MP and they loop it or something. Whatever I needed to loop or whatever drum drum and snare I need, whatever kick and snare. So, and then I play the bass line on top. But, you know, as far as scratches and stuff, I never did none of that because, I mean, everybody else did scratches. Mo and whoever scratched Cutmaster Curry on tracks when they did stuff or Cubit. But I didn't, I did a lot, I was behind a lot of scenes, but I didn't care about taking any credit. But yeah. Black Elvis, you know, and then I became number one producer on things. And when I did my album, when I did the, you know, the Feature Magnetic, I did all the beats, you know, what you heard on the Feature Magnetic project was when you heard like Atmosphere, Razzcast, Craig G, Psycho Less, uh, you know, Simon and uh, Bars Mary, Mac, um, Mac Maul, you know, on those records. Well, the Future Magnetic album, um, I did the whole album, and Godfather Don, and, and all the features I had on there. So I did the whole production. And, you know, even the record with MF Doom, it's funny, that's, that's a big record on um, Superhero. Mm-hmm. People don't even... I, I'm behind. I took. I didn't even put my 
tag and logo on it. It's just that people were so, um, you know, people are so critical now. They're like, you know, I, I hid behind a lot of names and kept my name out of the production because people was kind of stereotyped. They figure like the rappers should never make beats or the, how could a rapper make beats, you know? Like, those have the stigma, you know, the a rapper can't make beats, especially a good rapper. They don't, you know... And that's honest, you know, a lot of people ain't gonna never see a lyricist behind, you know, a SB12 or, you know, you, you know, they might not never see um, uh, a, a, a lyricist that they like behind a drum machine. Okay, you know, you have a quote-unquote rule in the music industry, uh, a, a top five rapper should never be programming beats, or, you know, you can't imagine Jay-Z rapping on his own tracks, you can't. I mean, you can't imagine Nas programming SB12. Okay, so that's your mind built up already, you know, in a trap. So that's that's what I had. That's why I kind of hid behind production because of the industry's cloud and 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 preset rule that they had. So I took my name off a lot of things just to let it go by itself because people would have been hating anyway. And, oh, Keith did it. I've been a lyricist make a beat that dope and and I proved myself, you know, a lot of tracks out there, big records that I, I just said, hey, I'm not going to even claim because people were programmed already that um, uh, the rappers shouldn't make beats, you know. And back in the day, you know, it's funny, like, the producer rapped on tracks, like, and Pete Rock and Diamond D rap over tracks. Right. You know? So, yeah. it's the, the stigma opposite, doesn't work you know? the other way. Huh? The stigma doesn't cross over. It doesn't work the other way necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like Pete Rock and Diamond D raps over tracks, and Timberland could rap over tracks, and but the it's the opposite. The it can't happen. So, so I had to you know eliminate the criticism and just play along with it for a minute and like pull myself away from the limelight of putting my name and saying I'm the producer and putting an ID on the song because sometimes what people don't know what hurt them. I, I, it was like, you know, I, a lot of them tracks was blindfolded and I fed people, you know, pop. I fed them some stuff that they like, mm, this is good. Who made this? <laughs> of course. I made it, motherfucker. You know, so... That, that that that's what people was you know. But if I, if they would have said I made it, you know, you can't leave somebody's eyes open and say, oh, you know, Keith made that cake. Oh, I don't like it. I don't want to. I don't want to taste it because he should be he should be doing lyrics. It's gonna be nasty. So I, I just I just I just did. That was my that was my philosophy, and and that was my philosophy. It's Have you ever approached a project that you would do everything that you would produce? You would do all the rhymes. You would you would kind of take it the entire way. Uh, I'm working on that now. Now you know that I hid behind so much production and limelight and stuff. And now I would now you know I mean after Elvis and you know a lot of the records and Peachy Magnetic Doctor Doom and you know. And I've been doing that. I've been played bass lines on, you know, even, you know, when the Fuck Compton album came out, you know, no disrespect, but before Tim wrote his rhymes on the tracks and stuff, I didn't know what he was going to 
say or diss people or mm. you know when he's on Columbia. I, I I played a few bass lines on some of those tracks, you know, because we was made, you know, every, we was into production, so we made tracks before he even rapped on those tracks, and you know, you know, so that was what he made back in the days. But we was a I was a part of a production team. Me and Stead made beats, you know, because we had albums. We did Funky Head Up. You know, it was like we were like, we Dr. Dre. We were working on Snoop's album. We are working on, um, we are working on Eminem's album. We are working on 50 Cent's album. We are working on, so that's how we were. We were working on Tim's album. We are working on Ultra Critical Beatdown album. We are working on my solo album. We are working on other albums. Stead did tracks for, um, you know, Philadelphia Tough Crew album, you know, we got they had stuff back then, but you know, we were working on different things. And Seth had a um, MF nine one one. He worked on them, so we had a lot of they had projects. Like, hey, you know, so hey, you know, we're producers, we're not rappers. We don't know the concepts, what everybody gonna say on their records or not. We just making beats. Right on. Right but I'm on. not like in the forefront. I'm not in the forefront of production. I'm just just making beats. I'm making beats like Mailman and, and everybody else, uh, you know, everybody else in the camp of a beat-making camp, you know? Yeah, right for on. sure. Right on, man. Do you, uh, can you, I don't know if this is true or not, I would love it if you would tell me, are you kind of always on tour? Um, most of the time I am, is, um, you know, I'm in the studio more, okay. you know, just recording random tracks, like no, no concept or whatever it is, you know, I'm just, I'm just making beats. Uh, I'm my own making writing. I'm writing a lot. I write a lot. I yeah. write a lot. Hmm. I pull up a lot of pads a month, just stacks of paper and paper and paper. And I write a lot. Like, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not technical into, you know, typing all my lyrics in my phone. Like everybody, I'm not into putting them on my iPod. And I'm not into, you know, reading them through the phone, through the mic. I, I, I like writing them. I write them on the paper, 12 by 12, you know, 12, you know, 12, 11 by 17 long legal pad paper. The long one, you know. Yeah. And if a show offer comes along, you just kind of like fit that into the process? You know, like, 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 uh, to me, like 10 pages is a record. Wow. Wow. I write, you know, big, I can read it. You know, I like the old George Washington writing, you know, just writing, you know, the penmanship writing, right? So, you know, I I did that, and it was good for me, so. And then, you know, on top of that, a lot of the ideas that I had is still me, all the ideas. And, you know, just the concepts of what I came up with to go with that stuff, like all the album covers and, you know, the ideas... You know, the industry is about clever ideas. Like, you know, I, I did a lot of clever ideas to make people get into certain things. You know, the covers of the album covers. Mm. I picked those, you know. Right. Well, Keith, um, you know, speaking of an uh, of, a, of a project of yours with a really memorable album cover um, that is also highly popular is um, the Dr. Doom album. Can you talk a little bit about what you remember about the making of that album? Uh, Dr. Doom was like, 
it was like a monster album. Well, I had a problem with Columbia, and it was taking a long time to work, you know, to get Black Elvis out. Mm. So Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom was like the sliding album of me just being like still functioning because um I was held up by Sony, and it took a long time to come out. I was held up, and I was like. I'm frustrated and everything. I'm gonna make an album that I can get, you know, get the steam off my chest. And mm. I think Doctor Doom was the flare up of just Black Elvis not coming out, and it was a mad Doctor Doom was it was a mad version of Black Elvis, basically that album. Like, mm. yo, you're taking too long to put Doctor Doom out. I'm fucking. I mean, you're taking too long to put Black Elvis out. Mm. I'm going with the Doctor Doom character. I'm going with you know a distributor somewhere. I'm a, take the record and you know you're not gonna stop my momentum I'm, i signed to a major that took a little more time trying to figure out what they should do you know and then i'm hearing all kinds of yapping behind my back the uh, <laughs> urban department don't know what to do with it the rock department the alternative department trying to figure out which department want to take the album you know so i was like let me put out dr doom it was just a lash out of okay. like let me get all this. Let me just get off. Let me just get the steam off, cause I'm. So then I did Doctor Doom. Then um, I think Master P was out the pen and text artwork. I was like, you know, let's put the hamburger, the rat in it, and let's just roll. And and that was just like me doing an album, like just to say an independent album, inspired by like the West Coast graphics of the Bay Area and all that. I was like, let me just do this album. And I had a lot of material. Me and Kurt had, you know, the keyboards. Kurt just gave me a lot of the drums and I put a lot of the toppings on the stuff, like all the mean sound and stuff. Cause you know, I'm consistent. I can make a whole album, like a soundtrack, you know, I can make a whole album sound like a soundtrack. It's like when James Brown did, um, you know, when he did, you know, Black Caesar, you know, the whole album match. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays the soundtrack don't match the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you know, they got a they got a mean scene, then they playing like a nice record from Linda Ronstadt, you know. It's just <laughs> they don't have you know, whatever it don't match, you know. It's just it's just that, you know, they have like a lot of soundtracks that don't match a lot of the songs that people make nowadays. So, you know, I think when I did Doctor Doom, it was like a soundtrack. So, mm. you know, it was just every track matched the stuff. You know, now you got movies coming out. None of the tracks have no familiarity with the scenes or nothing. Mm. They'll just throw a record in there, just just out of nowhere, a record randomly to put in a part. But when you watch the movie in the theater, you're like, this record don't really match the part right now like but you know the the the, the consumers don't care no more they kind of not aware and and they don't really properly care so they like kind of you know dumbed down to like not even being aware so you'll put a record in a part that's really probably sound like a scene that would need a more intense record but then you'll throw like you know you throw like a random pop record in there or you know, some top forty artists, some top forty artists up in there with a record that don't match the soundtrack, and you know, some pop record that it has nothing to do with the film whatsoever, nothing to do with the scene. 
I don't know if you've seen it, but that more recent Baywatch movie with The Rock is really bad about that. They have this, like, really intense jet ski rescue scene where it has, like, an Uh ASAP Rocky song featuring Rod Stewart. And I just remember Uh looking at my wife, like, what the hell is this song doing in here? Like, what? Like, why? Yeah. (laughs) Like you said, it's it's like the song could be there, but it's not on the right part, probably. It's like... Well, that would be for a like, partying scene or something, not, not for a, a It's not on the, like, a song is not on the right part. Like, it's like whoever, like, placed the song on the parts, you know. But what I'm talking about, like, when James Brown did Black Caesar, he did the whole movie. Like, totally. now, you know, now you know, now you do these songs, now it's a variety of artists doing the records. It's, like, too many variety. Like, it's like... You know, you got Rihanna do a song, Katy Perry do a song, Beyonce do one song. Um, you know, you know, you know, Sting does a song. You know, but it's, the movie is scattered out. It's not like a person that really looked at the movie and say, "I'm going to do this whole soundtrack to this movie and right. make it sound like like James Brown did Black Caesar. Like that was the best soundtrack. Like it was on time. Like. Yeah with the whole movie. Curtis like, doing a Superfly and Short Eyes. Yeah, like Superfly, Curtis Mayfield, you know, people who do the whole soundtrack. We that's what that. Dr. Go- mm-hmm. That's what Dr. Doom, like, you know, like Curtis Mayfield and James Brown is the only two people I know that did a perfect soundtrack for a movie. Like, mm-hmm. and some of those black exploitation films, you know, that the movie matching the sound. And, and the Willie Hutch and Isaac Hayes, everybody else, to me, tried to do soundtracks, or uh, you know, they have their one record for the movie, or uh, it, it doesn't match. Like it don't. So Doctor Doom, you know, Black Elvis, you know, um, the original Octagon, the first one, they they were they were soundtracks. They were soundtracks to my vocals and skits. So you know, and any album out the way, album I work on soundtrack, even Critical Beatdown is a soundtrack of what what the cover was and I mean a lot of people don't do no soundtracks you know right, they, right. You know, they, they they don't even do a, a, con, a whole album with the same producer so these guys now they get two tracks from this guy two tracks from that guy two tracks from that guy even with the new Keith album you know I got Psycho Les he did the whole album mostly a lot of the artists they get a track from this guy and a track from that guy which is cool sometimes but you know, I, I I like people too. There's all kinds of talent in both ways. Okay, you could pick scattered tracks from everybody. That's cool. But then again, it's nothing like one guy mm-hmm. doing the whole album. It's one. It's nothing like one guy doing the whole album. You know, it's just that the um the audi- the audience has gotten so so uncomfortable and 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 greedy that people put out tracks every day and. So they want to hear all these scattered producers all over the album, which is not bad, but it's just that the audience got spoiled. Right, right. And perfect, it's, it's, perfect. Uh, the artist doing the whole album, but it's, it's great. It, it shows the artist, one artist can make it. One artist sometimes can make an album sound like it's seven different producers on it, but mm-hmm. it's, that's the call of the one person. Right, right. All right, Keith. Well, um, look, man, uh, we just want to thank you for your time. We are, it's been a huge honor to have you on the program. And, you know, we're your biggest fans. We've been listening since we were kids. And um, going to spread the word on the new project with Psycho Less. And, um, again, thank you, man. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Get the Keith album and check out the video right now. You know, Foot Locker's out there right now, you know. Yep. You know, with Paul Wall. Check out the video, Foot Locker, and, you know, keep on pushing. You know, like you said, the Keith album is out there, and it's out there right yep, now. Yep. You can get it and reach me on my Ultraman 7000 Twitter and uh, Cool Keith official Instagram. And thank you, people out there, for listening and um, getting some straight facts. And um, as that's the best of what I can tell you. Yo, perfect, man. Thank you so much, Keith. Thanks, Keith. Okay, thank you. Peace. Peace. Okay. about rap pod holy shit that was great cool keith man i i've ta- like i've said i mean i've talked to him a few times but it's always such a pleasure man and he, he he's pretty generous with his time he he definitely was and uh it's just like you keep waiting for like the cool keithy thing to happen and then just out of nowhere he just says in his such distinct voice i've listened to for hundreds of hours totally linda ronstadt <laughs> right, <laughs> right like right. so funny right um do you? I was listening to this over the weekend, and I try to make every show about Edon in some way. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of Edon's Cool Keith imitation that he does on uh, Primitive Plus? Dude, I I barely remember it, but I remember thinking it was funny. It's like he can't really get the voice; <laughs> right. he just kind of speeds up his voice. But the exactly. way he constructs the rhyme to sound like Ultra Mag right. era Cool Keith is such like a brilliant homage. I yeah, think. I got to go back and listen to that. Yeah, it's pretty funny, dude. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I just. I was telling Dave off mic and I will now say it on mic. I've like kind of wanted to talk to cool Keith my whole life. Like I've been listening to his music for a long time. So that was super cool for me. And, um, I just think he's one of a kind. Yeah. Totally. One of a kind. That really came through. Yeah. I mean, it certainly resonates because Nate and I also keep it real by representing our nuts. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you know, when talking to Keith, like you, you expect him to like say fucking weird shit like that, but you know, he doesn't, he, he's sort of lucid, you know? Oh, totally, totally. Like, he's um, all over the place, but he's it's still controlled. I think it's kind of an interesting peek behind the curtain. Like, I don't expect him, like, at a show to, like, come out waving a dildo or right. something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. he, he's an artist. Right. Like, he's, totally. he has come up with all these different personas in the kind of service of his creativity. Right. It's not like right. he's, like, nuts. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally, like, totally. Uh, and I don't mean to use the term nuts in a derogatory way especially given the comparison uh, that I'm just going to make, but uh, Daniel Johnston just passed away. It's like, cool. Keith is not a Daniel Johnston. You know what I mean? Like he's not like a marginal. Right. He's just eccentric. He's He's just eccentric. eccentric. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, if calculated is not the right term, it's certainly um, with intention. Yes, totally. Totally. And you know, it's pretty clear. Like uh, we touched on it. I think you asked him a question about production and it's like, Oh, he can be dead serious. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Dead serious about like the arc of his, career about his equipment you know and then make like a fart joke yeah you know? totally <laughs> it's funny because um i knew about the bass lines because he's credited mm. as himself mm-hmm. playing the bass so it's like he was comfortable with people knowing that right, right and like right. you i think there's pictures of him i think there's a pr- picture maybe inside the dr octagon cd sleeve where he's wearing like a referee shirt yeah, and yeah. a cape and he's holding the bass yes and then um 
but he he wasn't about the the production stuff, which he just kind of like had this thought that rappers couldn't do it, right? And, but then right. like I think the MF Dooms and the JDs and all these different people came along and kind of changed that. So right. maybe he's willing to yeah to move on. From yeah, that. he he made a, a um, interesting juxtaposition. He kept uh, bringing up uh, Pete Rock and um, Diamond D, right? And how that was okay. Which like Diamond D is almost to me, especially at the beginning, more of like a large professor. Yes. where like he he came out doing both, right? And right. clearly he's a better producer than he is a rapper. But he was like rapping at a professor professional level totally 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 yeah it, it's certainly not a one-sided thing yeah and know? with Pete Rock he has like memorable guest verses but his rhyming leaves something to be desired at times uh, agreed, agreed um uh, people have been talking a lot about alchemists rhyming yeah um in kind of our twitter sphere and like I guess I just missed that like are you familiar <laughs> with I, I I heard that like with his earlier stuff there's there's a couple verses out there or something but uh yeah I don't know I don't know either don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and look at that um alchemist just on a roll lately though. yeah oh, that he... yacht rock too dude I love it dude yeah I love it dude. it's flames and I um I have I was not familiar with Boldy James mm-hmm. so I've been kind of digging <laughs> back into his catalog yeah. a little bit based oh, okay. on like the quality of that verse right right I was like, damn, who is this? No, totally. I, I love the YouTube video where it's just like scenic uh, ocean scenes and it's just like this song is Action Bronson and so-and-so. And totally. So-and-so. And it's so perfect. Dude. Yeah. They caught the vibe. Um, he is on fire. Yeah, you know? totally. It's awesome. All right. Um, we're going to call it a show. We don't have Damone quarterbacking the uh, show here, so it's not going to be quite as scripted or land as smoothly. Um, Damone, we hope you're feeling better soon. But um yeah, Dave, anything you want to plug or you have any writings coming up or anything? Uh, writings coming up. I, I got a piece on uh, Chris White from The Zombies that I've been working out for about working on for about three months. Uh, that's going to go out, come out pretty soon. That's sick, dude. But um, other than that, uh, just a few other small things in the works. Right on. What about um, you, Nate? I will plug um, two releases from our label. Um, we... Dave and I are part owners of Needle to the Groove Records and Entertainment, and we have put out our first two full-length LPs this summer. One is from Marinero. Um, it's called F- Florida Jamaica. Yes. And the other one is from Diamond Ortiz. It's called Certified. Um, those are available everywhere music is sold, but it would be fucking tight if you would go <laughs> buy them on Bandcamp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and on the Bandcamp we actually have special bundles and stuff and yeah. uh, you know, you get the your money's going direct. So, yeah. appreciate that. Damone is not here, so I'm plugging all my stuff outside of the podcast <laughs> and outside of rap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening though, everybody. All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Peace. Mm-hmm.